Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, live stream conversations on cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and I am very excited about today's guest. He is a ultra distance cyclist, a top level designer at one of the biggest bicycle companies in the world, and he is steeped in the dark arts of black metal. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Eric Nolan. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for getting here. I'm always nervous at the beginning. You never know. Like, oh, did the did the wheels fall off already? But I think we are good to go. You got this. So, Eric, I'm. I kind of. We just need to start from the beginning. Where Where are you from? It says Sweden in my passport. Um, so I guess that's that's uh, to normal standards how people define where you're from. It's it's oh, where I was born, sure. and I was born in Stockholm, in oh, Sweden, uh, 41 years ago. And then, but, did you like move around a lot, or kind of grow up in that area? Uh, no, yeah. I, I guess I guess from the outside, it looks like we moved all the time. But I I lived maybe in ten different places before I was uh, a grown up before I moved away from home. And, uh, you know, lived down south in Sweden for a while and then moved a bit north again. And then we moved out, uh, we moved abroad with my family when I was 14. We moved to Brussels or Waterloo where Napoleon lost his battle. Uh, when I was 14, we uh, stayed there for three years. I think that's when I really found that it was awesome outside of Sweden's borders, and uh, I've been I've been I've been almost uh, outside since then, more or less. You know, at least in my head, uh, I think I've been outside of Sweden now for eleven years. Oh, okay. And I get. I'm curious of at what point you ended up coming over to the states, but then also I'm curious of. If you like what kind of like subcultures or things did you grow up with? And maybe they weren't subcultures. Maybe you loved tennis. I don't know. You know, the uh, Californication is a thing. You know, the the cultural imperialism of California is strong. It's it's one of the world's strongest brands. And I I got I got hit by that at an early age through uh through music and and movies and uh, you know Hollywood and Sweden is a small country you know it's like back then it's like six seven million people and a lot of empty space and and I mean there's some there's some awesome shit coming from from Sweden cultural wise and music wise of course but um, you know all the all, everything that happened in in California just struck me at an early age and. And, uh, you know, I started sort of studying um, punk rock and, and metal and, and arts and movies and films. And, you know, I, it's, it, it's sort of in my blood. So, like, getting to the U.S., like, I, I got to the U.S. in my mind when I was seven. I don't know. It was such a natural thing. I didn't move here until 2012 or 13. Uh, but I, you know, I, I've been here many times before that, and I knew that I was going to end up here sometime in my life. I got ancestors, you know, from from far back who escaped the the harsh conditions of Sweden and, and escaped to Minnesota and became all kinds of awesome people there. So, you know, just until maybe 2017, I had relatives, uh, Swedish relatives living in in the U.S. So now, now, now I am here representing the Nolans in, in the U.S. It's really funny that you mentioned like Scandinavian to like the Minnesota. I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and there's a ton of Scandinavian culture there. So it's yeah. really f and the weirdest thing about that is in like the North Dakota, like Scandinavia, there'd be jokes like Scandinavian pencil and it would have two erasers. Like it was almost like dumbed down and it bugged the shit out of me. Now it bugs the shit out of me because Scandinavian culture is so, so cool. Like I don't understand. 
Where I digress, I suppose, you know. <laughs> you know, it, it's different. It's different from, from, you know, whether there is a U.S. culture or not. I mean, there is, there's many cultures, but, you know, Sweden in, in terms of significance is like a subculture. I mean, no doubt. Uh, it, just because of the size of it. So it scares some people. It amazes some people. And, you know, that's, that, that's I've always... Um, I've always liked being from Sweden because I've always actively thought about, uh, you know, the outsideness or, you know, counterculture of, of everything that I do. It's so profound in me. I, I want to be on the outside. I want to swim against the stream. So being Swedish in America is sort of, it, it comes so natural because that's so much me, you know, I'm, I'm in this mass popular culture and, and I'm the, I'm the outsider because I'm different. I speak differently. I, I have a different heritage. I think differently. And it's, it's just a great fit. Like being, being a creative here, being from another country, it's awesome. Yeah. So that kind of gets me thinking about, I've always had this, this is an outside uh, perspective that Scandinavian culture is, is much more like design is more infused in the culture. Is that, does that, feel true for you actually being from there or is that just like a, a uplifted perspective from an outsider uh i think it's an outsider perspective um yes or no i mean there it, it was a very for 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 hundreds of years it was a really like monotheistic culture kind of there it was there was just a very frugal in the way that culture was about you know you know, like we were pretty good at resisting religion for 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 a long, long time. Uh, we resisted the Nazis. You know, it's like we we resisted a lot of things that kept our culture like sort of intact, for good and for bad. Because like when when the rest of the world moves in such a rapid pace and always has, when you are conserving yourself, it's not always good. And and. Uh, you know, like that, that's why I left Sweden eventually, because I felt that the outside was more interesting. But I, I also I'm also really uh, proud of, of sort of the, the culture that that is and where I came from and the heritage. Uh, but, you know, I think what you're describing is exists everywhere, but maybe it feels more exclusive because there's less of it. There's less of us. Yeah. And then there's also the th like any place that's new or different, like traveling is the is the best example. You just observe so much more. So you're like, oh, like, look at the manhole covers or the, the fire hydrants. They look so crazy here, which yeah. are mundane when they're every day. Yeah, um, true. I'm curious of. So I'm yeah, this goes without saying, but you're familiar with like the the story of mayhem and all of that, like the history of black metal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I'm sure much more than I am than I am. Did you grow up during the time when that whole thing happened? Like, were you around that area? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was, but on on a fringe, uh, very much on the outside. It was. It's been blown up, and it's been. Um, it, now it seems like it happened everywhere. Ah, uh, uh, sure. But it 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 was a very very small subcultural thing that happened. Um, I knew about it when it happened. Oh, but wow. you know, like of six million people, and there were two hundred people doing this. You know, yeah. and the the mysticism around what it was and how how it happened it has been amplified since. But yeah, I mean. Me and my wife, we lived uh, in Gothenburg, where where some of the black metal murders happened, and we lived. It was the same same neighborhood, and the people that were involved in that, like we saw them at, at like the local grocery store, and, and you know the where we went up to like drink a beer on a Friday is where the murder happened. You know, it was a uh, you, you could throw a stone there, so it was it was it was present there. The bands that were were uh, you know sort of built the um, the platform of what black metal is today. They they were around, you know, you saw them around. Um, like the Niflheim guys, you know, you saw them every day on, on, on the tram and on the bus. 
Uh, I was, I've, I've never played an instrument, so I wasn't, I wasn't involved musically, but, um, you know, we, we went to concerts, we were hanging out at, at some of the, the same places, you know, we had a, an awesome place called Truck Stuff Alaska, very American, but uh, sort of a, a, a cultural shed in the harbor of, of Gothenburg. And a lot of, a lot of the awesome bands were, were playing there. So, yeah. Have you seen the, uh, the Lords of Chaos movie, the, the dramatization one? I have. Yeah, I have. I thought it was awesome, but I'm not as close to it as as you were. What was your perception of it? No, it was awesome. And you know why it was awesome? Because uh, it was dorky. Like, it was fun, and it was dorky, and it was quirky. And, like, the the original founders of, of that scene... They were just a bunch of dorks, you know, they're super committed, really creative people, but a bunch of outsider dorks, you know, and like, like we all are, I think, I mean, we can relate to it. And I, I can relate to that. It was, I I, got to say too, there were, there were so many details in that movie that I think you missed out on, but because that I grew up in that era, you know, I was. I was there in 1990 when you went and you rented a VHS cassette and all these, all the small details that they hit in that film is fantastic. Cool. And I only think you, you only know of them if you, if you've been there yourself and like the, that era of, you know, the, the late nineties where, or mid nineties where, where we were still that monoculture, both Norway and Sweden were still that monotheistic culture. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it tremendously and people who don't like it, I, you know, just fucking relax. It's a, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's, I, I thought that they did a great job too of showing that like awkwardness mixed with like the crazy insanity of what they really did. It, it just felt so real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got the, the death archives back here. I got the mayhem book. Oh. Uh, hang on here. Sick. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's actually it's signed by by Necro Butcher. It says uh, Till Eric from Necro Butcher. What? So yeah, I mean this this is the story, and like everybody should know, it's just a fascinating um, uh, cultural um, document and era. I I, I I I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like interesting cultural thing that happened and it it's kind of like changed that genre of music or elevated and then also the i mean this sort of like a transition but the aesthetics of that style of music is so strong and it's it has such a pull to it that i I don't know like i i personally love it and i wonder if that if you like were ever involved with making graphics like that or like i don't know like was have we ever involved with the visual aspect of that culture uh i mean to to a very uh profound uh base of it yes because what it does what it has is an extremely clear point of view the pov is extremely clear from from that genre of music you know it's it's informed and inspired by nature it's about it's about counterculture it's about hating everything but it's so well defined what it is and what it's not uh that that yes i mean i i i've always liked that firm approach and point of view in in storytelling or in design or in in graphic design whatever whatever expression any kind of music too um it's you know super fascinating and and even to this date, when I'm I'm a creator for for a bigger commercial company, I've that it's still with me. Uh, sort of the um, the definition and and the clarity in in what I do and what comes easy for me. It it's born somewhere there back in back in Scandinavia and in that era, no doubt. Yeah, a uh, couple ways to go off of that one, I guess. Yeah, okay, this seems like a perfect segue. You say, like, um, 
uh, maybe you were even saying this earlier, like inherently in you, you feel like a, um, a certain sense of like resistance to normalcy or things that are like regular. Oh yeah. You were saying it just a moment ago. Like you like being sort of like an outlier, like Uh something slightly different. And I feel like I I understand and totally relate to that. And then it, it brings to mind the idea of like, you know, you working in this like kind of corporate monolith of cycling, which is fringe, but it's like this, you know, I could almost see you like building frames on your own and just being like, like a falconer type of thing. Like, it's kind of interesting to me that you do work in this structured environment also. Like, it sounds like, it seems like a very interesting balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know what it is? Uh, it's a, it's a megaphone. That's what Ooh, it is. Okay, go and, explain. Well, the reach that I have now for my stupid ideas are are fucking tremendous, right? You you got this brand that people look at, and and Specialized has the reach of of you know like Specialized is is sold in in like a high, almost 150 countries. You know, it's like there for 5,000 shops. You know, it's like the the reach is tremendous, and I. I love bicycles and I, I love, I believe in them so much as, as a part of the solution. So when I'm working at Specialized, I can, I can help bring that idea to the masses in, in a way more powerful way than if I was a maker in my, in my own shed, you know, doing, doing uh, or reaching a few. Now I, I reach millions, you know, I, I, if I design a bicycle frame or whatever it is, just a couple of weeks later, it feels like there's there's a hundred thousand people riding them and enjoying them and and loving them and being fulfilled by them, right? You see, you see, like it's really powerful. So why why would I want to be um, my own? You know, maybe later in life when I'm burnt out. But now, as long as I have this urge of of saving the world by bicycles then it's the perfect place to be totally yeah and i guess i wasn't sure that that was like an underlying message so that that kind of value or mission statement makes perfect sense is obviously in such alignment with where you're at and what you're doing yeah i know that you design at specialized but design is a very broad word i actually don't know exactly is it like the geometry or graphics or all of it? Like, what is it? What? <laughs> what do you do there? <laughs> you know, I've been trying to get a title uh, for the last five years. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It, no title. I like that. It seems to be impossible to do. Sometimes I need it. You know, I've actually, I have this discussion now with my boss. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing all these things. And I, it's like, let's say I need a race. But then if I have a title, there's you're locked into a, a, a structure where you can only earn so much or little because it's always a, a reference to all the other people doing the same thing. Right. And I've, I've never done the same thing as, as everybody else. Uh, and I've always, you know, go, going back to the counterculture, I, I think I think I've, I've managed to... Um, have a central place in that company, but there's not a lot of people who actually understand or, or get what I do. My closest team, yes. It, it's some kind of broader sense of design, uh, but it's also like, it's the brand building. Uh, I would say it's an, a design umbrella. You know, it's it's the brand building, um, it's it's uh, industrial design, it's graphic design, it's the the marketing side of things, the outward communication. Um, it's just you know the the closest I got to a title uh, was creator with a K, and I gave that to myself. It's a German metal band. You don't have to listen oh, to it. Yeah. This is pretty shitty. Uh, but they're called Creator, and I felt okay. That's me. I'm I'm a creator, right? Like if you put a title on me, it's just. Like it's gonna be a suit that's too small because I don't want to be defined and I don't want to like oh Eric is he's that he's manager of that I think I'm just I I am a creator and 
And whenever I, if I would get a title, it wouldn't really describe what I do. I, I love being in that gray zone because that's life in general to me. It's not, it's not actually black and white, you know, it's, it is, it is a gray zone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Actually, I'm very impressed that you have gotten away with them, like not applying a title to you. This is congratulations on that. Well, they have tried too, and I've tried, but we can't seem to figure it out. Everybody else has titles. I can't get a title. No, that's you don't want one though. You don't need one. If somebody has any ideas, <laughs> just shoot them over to me because I like if if there's if you look at, look at it. From the outside, you think you know what I'm doing? Just send me some ideas of a good title because I, I need to go into that discussion with my boss pretty soon. But I don't think any of us know what the hell you do. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I am there for the broader sense of, of cycling and, and I am a creative engine and a, and a driver of change. I want to be a driver of positive change. At, at, at the company and I know I am and uh, I, I don't care about a title, you know, I don't care about, um, uh, you know, sort of hierarchies. It, it's a very flat organization. So I guess in other, other big companies, not having a title would be worse, but we're, we have a really flat organization and, and, you know, my colleagues are just my colleagues. They're not my bosses and bosses and Same. bosses. Yeah, that's cool. Totally. Do you like the categories that you work on? Is it across everything? Like little kids bikes, mountain bikes, performance bikes, or is it one genre in particular? So right now I'm working on a, on a big um, um, concept that's five years out or, or less, but that's more uh, vision work. And then I'm working on a shoe that's uh, in Peter Sagan, his collection that I'm, I'm driving. Cool. Um, and I'm working on some storage, storage solutions. I'm working on apparel, uh, working on color and graphics. Um, Got to look around me here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I work with bikes and equipment and uh, it. yeah, it's not like, we're also a very small team. So, so you always have somebody it's like, Hey, you know, come, come and look at this. And then, you know, vice versa, you get tangled in all kinds of shit all the time. And so th there's no borders. It's just, it's like, it's like, um, it's like the European Union, you know, like, it's like shoes and then you're friends with helmets and then you're friends with apparel. And in the end, it's just you're just one. Yeah, that sounds awesome, too, because then you're not just doing one thing over and over and over and slowly barreling into the wall of burnout. It's like everything yeah. keeps it interesting. It never gets bored. I mean, I've been there eight years soon and I, wow. I've, I've never had a boring day. Sick. I've never had a day where I can like sit down and feel like I'm so fucking over this. It's boring, you know, because there's always a fire somewhere that makes you move around. Yeah, it's awesome. It's not for everyone, but I I I love it. The I saw the a new Diverge just came out, which is yeah, yesterday. I'm stoked. It's got higher volume tires. It kind of got all the things that it needed to have. My opinion. The I was I'm so intrigued by that storage in the down tube that is so fucking cool like what yeah. the hell is that old news <laughs> uh, it's been on mountain bikes but oh, it, nice. it's new on on road bikes and it's new on gravel bikes it's been around on mountain bikes for like six seven years okay uh, but, um, but now it's it's on road bikes too it's actually it's awesome because you can you can hide all your shit down there things that you don't want to have on the bike it's now in the bike. You it's, know, you don't need that burrito roll that you have up front, or you don't need a, a, a saddlebag. You know, you can have a you can have a wind jacket there. You can have a rain jacket. You can keep a burrito. Uh, you can keep a you know a, a small sort of a, you know a, a wine container. You can have your weed there, like anything. Is there a cover over it? Does it? Or is it just yeah. a hole? Oh, there is a cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. plugged. It's not. It's under the water bottle, and it's like hinged. So you just snap it open, and then you pull oh, it out. Sick. Okay. 
that was not clear in the like the brand page, like a, the product page on the site. I was like, I don't understand how this works. There was like a soft shelled roll in there. I was like, what? I like this, but I don't get it. <laughs> so thanks for that clarification. Yeah, you know, I think it turned out it was it's a funny thing because I was I was assigned as the lead designer for that for that project. And oh, then cool. And then there was an urgency and an opportunity that I took instead and I left the project. And, oh. and uh, I'm kind of bummed about it now, but I it, it was in very good hands. And, and uh, the, the team that ended up doing it is just incredibly fucking talented. So it wasn't like it would have mattered anyway, but. It's like that that would have been a baby to me because that's that's my kind of writing and yeah it was it was my dream project um yeah. and, and then I did something else that that was also a great learning curve and you know I I want to learn things all the time you know I think I'm like you there you know I'm always tinkering and and challenging myself and and I feel like as long as there's resistance and as long as you're you're like oh fuck you know I don't know what to do here but I'm learning as long as you're, you're you keep on climbing that fucking mountain of learning, then I know I'll be safe. And maybe that's what happened. There, there was this opportunity of going into apparel, technical apparel that I didn't have much experience from, and I did. And I, I learned the learning curve just like took off like a fucking rocket. And I learned a ton. And then and then I left apparel, and now I'm back into bikes again, which is awesome. Yeah, like I, I the I like this point of you know trying new things. We both do it. You know, I, I do it a lot, but even though I do it all the time, there's always that constant that it's fucking hard, man. There, it's like scary, the unknown. It's like so you know, it's kind of like resistance. Mm-hmm. How how do you deal with that? It's how do you deal with that like emotional resistance personally? Or maybe you don't even feel it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, of course. I, I feel it, but I've also chosen it. And I think that's my strength. Like these days, hmm. being more than halfway through my life and being Eric Nolan at this company, I've, or, you know, in, in general, in general, I'd say, you know, also in society, um, the, the, the counterculture thing that I touched on before, this swimming against this stream sort of that's I mean that's resistance right you're you're there you're just one fish in that in that stream and you're you're swimming upstream I've I've done that my whole life so I'm used to it but it's the 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 challenge and the fun thing there is really to try to like strategize and navigate and team up with like-minded people and come in from the outside and just boom you know like that like the strategy around that is has always been funny you know how to take something that's weird or odd or different and place that into the the heart of where you need to go and have people look at it it's like yeah okay i see it now i think that's uh that's a cool thing so when you say strategy, are you saying like a plan for a project or are you thinking of a specific like commercial thing in mind? Like because trying new things doesn't always have to be like a, a for sale thing. You know, it's it's like talking to somebody that you don't know in front of four different strangers, <laughs> for <Yeah>. example. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, some, sometimes sometimes like you you get you get the feeling that you're sort of tapped into the source you know you mm-hmm. you you see things differently and and i think as creatives we we come around that a lot where where we are our minds are are uh, educated and shaped in the way that we can visualize things that are not there yet you know like when you draw, you you see what you are going to draw inside your mind and then it comes out through your limbs. I feel the same in in the context that I am right now where uh, the strategy is sort of that, you could call it a vision. You know, I get the vision and I see it. It might be five years ahead of us or it could be two meetings and a few conversations away. Uh, but that that vision and the like the, the 
taking it from just an idea or the first like what flicks through your mind the strategy is like how do i how do i ground this who do i tell who do i alley with uh who's my friend here who's the enemy and then because if you believe in something then you want to make it happen and then you want to share it to the world and and have people be as stoked as you are and talking about the megaphone you know that's that's what the cool thing is right now that a a stupid idea that's just a doodle on one of my sheets here can affect a million people in in three years yeah yeah dude vision is so critical for any project for sure that is like such a secret weapon once there's a vision then it's just tasking away until it can you know what i mean it's just like that's then it's just work until it actually happens the vision is like and of course it changes as the project happens but yeah the vision is very important and not everybody has that ability to to visualize something that's not there and you know that's why i think like the creative leadership within any company and and you know when when you say that you're design driven and really stand behind you or behind that message you know good things are going to happen you know like apple did not get to where they are now because they did not let the creatives drive you know like there there's so many examples where music and art and design and architecture, whenever that changes society, it's been it's been by design. It's been it's been from a very, very, very strong point of view. Uh, and and usually that's that that's what we can call the vision. If you listen to people with visions and 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 accept to follow them, instead of trying to like go around and, and lead people, but not really have the direction or the point of view, you know, that that's when you get far really fast. And I think that's like that, that's the times we are in now. You, you see things are happening so fast and successes and tragedies happens like every second, everything is so instant today that people with strong visions, I'd say just, just follow. It's going to be more fun. The Specialized is a brand that I've always like had a lot of respect for. I like to I always joke that they're like the Nike of cycling cuz innovation is so this is all obviously from an outside perspective. Innovation seems to be such a strong element of their of the brand and it's which is so cool it's so radical like sometimes it nails it and sometimes it doesn't and i think because of both of those it's so interesting it's it seems like it's so married to innovation is that Mm -hmm. does that ring true from the inside yeah yeah Uh, and 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 much more than you would ever believe totally because you you only see yes you see about a tenth of the innovation that is made right uh, that that's what what gets to the market. Um, yeah, I mean there there are so I mean there there are people with with the title creative specialists. All they do is innovate. That's their job. They're just trying and failing and trying and failing. They're full time employed, and there are many of them that all they do is fail all day and then get back on their feet and say, oh, let's do it differently. Let's make one more. Let's try this instead. To me, that's innovation. That, that's creative innovation. And, and I'd say that Specialized is the bicycle brand in, in, in the modern era who, who's investing the most into that, into R&D. Yeah. We're investing into failure in and right. I mean, it's fucking expensive, but it's also it, it, it makes a difference in the end. Yeah, no, you know? I I totally agree. I feel like it, you just see it from the product. The brand seems to always be just like trying new things like, oh, what about this? What about that? Like, it, it's so refreshing opposed to just like kind of, you know, a lot. And, and it makes sense for a lot of brands that, you know, maybe they don't have money resources or whatever they kind of just make smaller steps but it's it's 
really impressive to see the commitment to just like innovation. Yeah. And yeah. And you know what I, I like the most is that uh, there, there's been, I mean, since we don't, we don't really manufacture anything about like water bottles and, and, and smaller stuff like that, but we, we, we engineer, we innovate that, that is our main business. We innovate and then we market it. Somebody else can manufacture it for us. So we don't have to, we don't really have to invest like 50% of our time trying to manufacture things because other people that do that better can do that. Totally. And instead we can focus the, all the brains and all the resources on, on thinking about what's next, like innovating, investing in R&D. Uh, the the, the R&D shop that, that is down in Morgan Hill today is, is state of the art. It's the biggest in the business, like the machines, the resources, the brain power. It's, it's incredible to see. And we, we own the, um, we, we, we've taken command of the, the development process that, you know, starts with, with design from both like a, a, a creative sort of, a, a, you know, traditional design, but also from the engineering and the manufacturing uh, side of, of design. And then that just blends into a, a, a weird and beautiful dance. And, um, and I'm, I'm part of it. I, it it's awesome. Yeah, it's very, very impressive. The uh, it's interesting what you were just saying about the designers that they basically their job is to fail. It's like 10, ten, ten tries of failing and one one make. And it that is like the exact way to describe skateboarding. It's like yeah, ninety percent failing, ten to one percent success, and yeah. it's. I, I don't know, like there's not many things that people can do when they're younger that it not even it doesn't teach you. It just shows you it gets one familiar with comfortable with failure. And it, I feel like that can't be understated enough. There's a lot of power in that. But do you know how much culture that has come out of skateboarding, you know, because yeah. they like skateboarders parents encouraged them to go and get fucking holes in their new jeans and, you know, come home with dirt on their hands. And it's like that, the, the, the freedom of, of that expression, it's like, Hey, I'm allowed to do this. I, I can go and fail and I can, I can tear my, my new pants and shred my new shoes. You know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, uh, relationship that that we have to the leadership of the company too because we are encouraged to go and get dirty and we're encouraged to go and fail and come like hey say hey daddy i ruined my new jeans and then it's like fuck yeah high five awesome here's you know like stitch them up and go out again son that's the kind of relationship that we have and it's just very it's cool to be a creative in that because like with with the skate culture and what that like how many artists and musicians that has started with skateboarding you know because of the culture I, it's amazing to think about and that's that's an environment where a lot of creativity comes out it's it's when you're allowed to fail and encouraged to to fail yeah, yeah, right. Have support around failure. Be like, you can fail. It's you can because you'll be able to just get up and do something else again. It doesn't mean you're fired or broken or dead or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Uh, I I'm curious how subject shift. How you got into cycling? How did this happen? I'm I'm trying to define a good story here, but I'm not really sure. I'm gonna tell you one. I don't think it's I don't know if it's true necessarily, but <laughs> I was I was I remember I got maybe I was five and I got this uh I got this my dad made me this like coaster bike that I could skid on. And what I do know, it was like the suburbs of a pretty small city in the south of Sweden, but I remember the the immense freedom that I felt getting on this bike with my neighbor and all the kids in the neighborhood. And there was a BMX track. It was probably half a mile away, but it felt like it was just like every time I got on my bike, 
it felt like the Stand By Me sort of movie where let's just let's just go far away and have an adventure. That's what the bike did to me. I mean, I could have walked there, but I, f I remember how sort of the profound impact that that sense of freedom had to me. It's like, hey, this is, this is independence. I can ride away from my parents. I can mm -hmm. ride away from anything, and I can go on an adventure with my, my buddies here, my five-year-old buddies, you know? <laughs> I think that, I, I want that, I think that story is kind of true. Uh, it might it might be better than it actually is, but it's it started somewhere there. And then I always had bikes around me, and I I had a Univega mountain bike when I was eleven already, and then that got stolen. I got another one, and then since I've always had bikes around me, oh, and yeah. and uh, been encouraged to be like, hey, see you later, mom and dad. You know, like uh, I'll be home for dinner. And they had no fucking idea what we were doing, but we were out on our bikes. Yeah, no. What? So you kind of stayed cycling, stayed a part of your life the whole time. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah, the oh, whole wow. time. And when I was in art school, you know, I was I was racing mountain bikes, and like I was oh. I was the only guy who would go like everybody was there like sipping red wine, talking about poetry, and like it was like. 2 a.m. and I was like, I gotta go because I gotta ride a hundred miles tomorrow morning, and I like I wasn't a part. I I never I I was never gonna be able to be an artist, you know, because like I wasn't into the I was not into the parlay or into why who who you yeah. or what you were supposed to be as an artist or to be an artist. So I because I was I was an aspiring athlete back then and oh really yeah and i that's i just loved it i love i love the freedom of just shredding fast as fuck you know alone in the woods uh so i did that instead and then like you're not going to become an artist but you can become a designer maybe it's sort of being an artist for the industry and uh i applied to well actually i had a mentor and this is this is funny i got a i got a letter from him here um uh, uh, it's from this legendary uh, graphic designer, H.C. Uh, Ericsson. Uh, this is in Swedish, but this is part of uh, the letters that we wrote to, to uh, each other. But he, um, he told me, and, and I mean, he was a fucking genius. He, he died a couple of years ago, but he said, Eric, you're never going to become an artist. And this was my final year in art school. I was there for two years. Like well, you're never gonna become an artist. You're too, you're too like square-minded. You're too <laughs> defined. Like you're too on point for being an artist, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was in a traditional sense of like painting and you know drinking wine and talking about light and and such. But but he said this. He said, "Hey, I I, I only see like fuck art. Like you you you'll never make it. I'm sorry to say, but there's something called industrial design." And that's when you can you can become an, an artist and and you know keep on being who you are and who you want to become. Just stay on track. But it's like being an artist for the industry, or for 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 you know capitalism. And I was like, okay, sure. But what about it? And then he said, hey, there's two schools. There's either there's one in Helsinki in Finland. And I looked it up and I I missed the submission uh, or admission uh, period. And then there was one up right by the Arctic Circle in Sweden, in, in Umeå, um, where the band Refused is from. Sick. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to go there, you know? That's cool. So I applied and I got in. And and that's that's when I learned that I could combine bicycles and and my profession. And this is all, I mean, this is a long, this is 20 years ago. So uh, I've, I've stayed on the path since. I just worked with bicycle the whole time. Yeah, that is very impressive. You've kind of stayed on the same longitude, latitude, whatever the, the way to say it, like the same path kind of your whole life. It very Like I have a lot of respect for that. I feel like that's very uncommon. 
Yeah, right out of um, right out of uh, university, I took my master's degree in Gothenburg, and uh, the day after my graduation party, I I started my own company, uh, a consultancy for the bike business, because cool. nobody was doing that. So I I had my own business called Kiki Industrial Design, and I did that for two years, and then I had I got to say I had one bump in the road there because. I got entangled in a design strategy agency and stayed there for four years. And I ended doing autoclaves and sterilization equipment and big fucking machines that they have in basements of hospitals. I did that. I learned a lot. That's when I grew up as a designer because I got so much responsibility. All of a sudden, I was a lead designer for this, you know, billion dollar company. (gasps) And I was like 20... I don't know what, like 29, 28. Wow. And so I, I grew up real fast as a designer with a lot of a lot of say. And then I ejected myself from, from that context when bikes were, the bike path was sort of getting dried up and I inserted myself into bikes again. I forced myself into bikes and that, that, that specialized and that's eight years ago. Oh, wow. So it went from the like that kind of uh, autoclave industrial thing to specialized. Yeah. Yeah. With like a year in between, but sure. yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Oh, very cool. So you must've been fucking stoked to team up with specialized then to make that transition. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know much about it, to be honest. I just know it was one of the best. And uh, I, I Googled and things just happened too fast I got hired way too fast and I wasn't ready and and uh I'm I'm stoked it happened that way. You know, in retrospect, I would have waited a year if that's a thing. But me and my wife were on a bike tour uh, across the US and and it was a big sort of recovering uh find the next chapter in life kind of trip, you know, life yeah. defining. Yep. Uh the, I call, they were called walkabouts. Yeah, we were roaming around with no uh, no direction. You know, we were following Spring North from Austin up to to Portland, and we didn't really know where we were going to be out for a year. We had saved up, and Whoa. and my wife was really badly burnt out, and my mom had just died, and it was we were pretty messy, and we decided to just cut, and uh, we. We flew to Austin and we started riding our bikes north. And in Flagstaff, I found Specialized, which is not a far distance. And wow. and I got hired on the spot almost. Uh, so it was way premature. It, it wasn't meant to, you know, that that year ended up being six months. And um, and I was part of the Specialized family. How but, did they, they just see you riding across the country? They're like, hey, you. Hey, you want a job? No. Get over no, here. <laughs> well, you we we got um, we it it got really cold in Flagstaff, and we decided to stay there for two days. I was sitting in some bar, checking on my phone, checking on like I, I probably googled like West Coast bicycle companies, and oh, you know Santa Cruz came up, and it's like okay, I heard about them. Specialized, like oh yeah, I know them, and then. Uh, you know, a few others from like Seattle down to San Diego. There, there's a bunch of companies, and and then I went on to Specialized, and this is actually a true story the way it happened. But I got into uh, there's a uh, career section on the webpage. Oh yeah, and it said Dream Jobs, and I checked there, and there was a position that was. It was written in a way like somebody who had known me for like my whole life no just way. talked to me as two friends do. Whoa. It's like, Eric, we got this perfect job for you here. It's your dream job. Like you got to come. And then it's like, comesy, comesy. And all of a sudden I had applied on the webpage. The day after the head of HR called me, it's like, Eric, where are you? I'm, I'm in Flagstaff. Okay, you got to come over here. We got to interview you. Whoa. And I... I they they said you go to this bike shop in in central flagstaff they're gonna pack down your bike you're gonna get on this flight you're gonna fly to say uh we're gonna pick you up and then so that that all happened and i went on a bike ride with mike sinyard it was like a an eight hour bike ride in the santa cruz mountains and i almost fucking died 
because uh, <laughs> it's so hard. But that was that was his test, you know, hanging out with me, seeing if I had it, you know, if I had the right attitude, you know, the PMA, all that. Yeah. And uh, I I was pretty strong at a time from touring, and I did that, and I got hired on the spot. But it was it was way premature because we were gonna be out. It's like I came back to to the hotel where Sophia was waiting, and I'm like, fuck, I got hired. Fuck. It's like this wasn't supposed to happen this fast. Well, so we we bought twelve weeks and we we rode our bikes up to Portland and oh. down the one and then uh, we got stationed in Switzerland uh, at, at the specialized office there, and we just saw that as a continuation of of uh, our our this great the great escape journey that we did. We called it the great escape. Um, and we were we were hiking the Alps for a year instead, instead of riding, huh. you know, through Idaho. It sounds like the the walkabout kind of did what it needed to do, at least for you. It was you. crazy, huh? How did it do for Sophie? Well, you know, it, it turned out to be nice because she she was not healed, you know, after obviously after three months after get, getting really badly burnt out, but. You know, we moved to Switzerland and she found ceramics there and she used to be a fashion designer and she had like six, seven years in ultra rapid fast fashion. Right. And she got burnt out and didn't want to return to to uh, the fashion industry. But she's such a creative and she found a new a new uh, material and a new expression. And then she uh, she actually based on the name of the bicycle tour she started the Great Escape Studio based on that, on the name of the tour. And then this is a piece from her. Uh, she's doing awesome now. She's got a studio in, in the Mission in San Francisco. And and uh, it's like, yeah, I mean, call it serendipity, call it whatever you want, but things just happened. And we said yes. And, and uh, yeah, now we're here. <laughs> uh, uh, I fucking love that story. Holy shit. I don't know anybody who wouldn't. So, I mean, the power of just kind of like doing a walkabout, like taking an adventure. Like, I don't even know how to verbalize that. You know what it's about? The most profound thing here is like, say yes. Always say yes. Even if you don't know the outcome of it, if you have no idea what's going to happen. But if somebody gives you an opportunity, if somebody says something to you, try to say yes instead of saying no, because it's just way more fun. And then all of a sudden you end up having your dream job or you find a new expression of like you had never touched clay before. And then it's like, yeah, I say, I say yes, I'm going to try this or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw myself into a new context. I think that's how mankind evolves and and as a creative that's how you keep on staying on point and 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 keep on like staying hungry and learn things say okay. yes okay i want to i want to i want to devil's advocate this one for just a second yeah so i i don't know if i agree with like always saying yes to things and the, like for example yeah not always not always. Okay, so then that I guess that clears it up then, because people ask me for shit all the time, and I'm glad I don't say yes to a lot of it. <laughs> you know what I say if I don't say yes? I say sure, and then I turn around and think like "fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> we leave no, it on a positive. I, I don't mean on a micro level, but I mean on the macro level, like. Be hungry for life and be hungry for the unknown and throw yourself out there. And it, it's related to failing too, because if you feel like you're, you, you uh, can fail and you mm. know that you're okay with failing, that's when you're going to have the most fun. You know, if we, if I wouldn't have accepted this offer prematurely, mm. um, lives would have been so much more different i yes. mean obviously but no, yeah say yes on a macro level on uh, the big picture should be like yeah i'm curious i'm hungry i want to i want to learn i want to i want to evolve i want to grow you know um 
That that's to me is yes. Say yes. That's what it means. And then of course, say no to. There's so much stupid <laughs> shit out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I got it. I got it. Maybe this is too heavy of a of a thing. But you you say like uh, you know keep the thirst for life alive and like. You know, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes life is not so thirsty. And it's, you know, kind of how to keep that stoke alive. You know, it's not always sunshine and lollipops. No. And and that's what I, I love and hate that about California, because everything is just so fucking awesome. And everybody yeah. is so pumped and stoked and... Hey, I have a lot of integrity. That's like, we're getting back to my dark, like Swedish Norse soul. I want to be alone. I want to be yeah. dark. I yeah. don't, I don't want to be the California guy all the time. It's just like, sure. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, things are not peaches and cream all the time, but it's about embracing that too. And, yeah, and, totally. and, I, that that's you know like me and this it, it's all about loving death I love death I'm so fascinating about the the dark side and I I love death so much because it makes me feel alive I'm I'm embracing I'm embracing death to the full extent and I'm not afraid of it and I'm I want to I want to die I'm really looking forward to die but I also love living right so maybe what I'm saying is that I'm, 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 I know that I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. So yeah. while we're at this planet for a brief moment of time, it's, it's cooler to say yes and, and learn new things and experience the unknown than just say there, sit there and be conservative and say, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't, you can't marry that person or you can't not be religious and you can't you got to do this it's like why would you ever want to be conservative i don't get it you know like i think i think just accepting death and living every day like it's your last i think the world would be such a much crazier place in, yeah, good and bad, but well, yeah. more, inter- <laughs> more interesting. You know, but, well, you know what it is? It's also about being responsible and not being a dick, you know, because that's not what I mean about just living your... It's not like, hey, I'm going to pour, you know, 100 gallons of gasoline in the ocean because I mm. fucking can. But I think, I think, um, you know, you only being here for a couple of years out of millions... Yeah. And like you, you I, I want to be here to the full extent and I want to be very, very alive every second of, that I'm here. But I also don't want to make a mess because I want other people to experience what I have experienced here and what I am experiencing. I think that's like, that's when you come into trying to be, you know, li- live live your life like, like you know can go down with in history as as a positive example pack it in pack it out just like that don't be a dick (laughs) i love saying that by the way (laughs) um fuck i don't know i feel like we kind of covered all the things i just i talk a lot i'm a i I can talk forever oh it's perfect i i love it um, I don't remember if I said this in the beginning. If I didn't, I shame on me. But if you guys want to learn more about Eric, you can follow him on Instagram at Hell Hummus. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? Okay, cool. Yeah. I for some the longest time my brain saw that as saying Hello Hummus. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's like Hello Kitty. <laughs> yeah. And there's like this black metal. Thing. I was like, "What is going on? This doesn't make any sense." Yeah, yeah I, I was. I I ate so much hummus uh, at one point in my life. <laughs> we, we had a we had a, a a hissing and hummus institute. Me and my wife, and we had it turned into be a festival of of kinds. But it was all about the hummus. This is like we we can have another episode about this about my hummus. But so when Instagram came around, in in like cycling culture you know indie circuits i was known as hummus everybody oh, all the 
all the alley cats and and all the races that we did a lot of underground racing i was i was known as hummus and uh when instagram came around i just became hell hummus but it wasn't like hummus as it spelled because it was sort of like this like this this human too and homo hummus in a way so it, it, it it became hell hummus and it's not spelled like hummus it's spelled with an with an o yeah right. yeah but it's oh. it looks like a real like that could be a band or like a person in a in cre- creator or you know what i mean like yeah. hell hummus he <laughs> yeah. plays best bass in all of the land <laughs> yes yeah, the best hummus in germany and play the best <laughs> bass too <laughs> Wait, okay, I, I got a question for you. So at one point when I was younger, I, I met a friend and he was really into hardcore music. And I mm-hmm. ha- I had never really heard hardcore music. And I I just was like, I don't understand it. It's just kind of noisy to me. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I was like, can you explain to me like what you see? Like, what's the magic that you see in this? So I love that. And he did it. He told me all these things. And I went on to just like love the, that genre. And it gave me a way to understand different genres also. But I'm mm-hmm. curious of if you would be able to explain, so say I've like just never really gotten black metal, like how, what do you love about black metal? I love because it's so, it's so fucking nerving and brutal and raw. You know, mm-hmm. if I would describe it, it would be sort of like you're you're in this deep dark forest and mm. it's really it's damp and you're alone and it's dark and you lay down and there's like moss and you lay you feel like the moist on your skin and you're like your face is in the moss and it smells like nature and then the world just tumbles around you it's just this violent fucking uh you know, end of the world scenario while you're laying there smelling the moss. Uh, and that, like, black metal is that brutal. It's it's just, it's raw. It's an overwhelming feeling of both, like, disgust and, and, and vibrations and everything that nature, everything that's magic about nature is, is in there in 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 the melodies and in the expressions but it it smells like it doesn't smell like the city that's like death metal smells like the suburbs ha, but black metal smells like moss you know yeah and that's where i start to get really confused on like whoa, black metal death metal like uh, like i don't understand there's so many it's like cheese there's so many like subtleties in between all of them. Yeah, I, I somebody asked me to describe that last week, and I said like if if like death metal is like testosterone and bros, it's very extrovert. Like Pantera. Yeah, yeah, that's like, but that's just that that's the worst kind of fucking bro metal. Like I I wouldn't even listen a second to that band. Um, yeah, it's that it's it's testosterone. It's 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 a it's a stupid, violent, uh, testosterone-filled like bro band. Uh, Wait, what are some examples of death metal of bands? Well, you know, I, there, there's a lot of black me- or death metal bands that I like too. You know, there's there's a my, my, maybe my favorite one is Death Breath, um, <laughs> and it's it's awesome. Um, it's it's yeah long story but i'm not gonna go in there but yeah <laughs> there 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 are some some fusions between death metal and black metal that i really like but what i like about the black metal is that uh it's introverted um hey let me i can i can i got something here i can just play that for like 30 seconds so this is this is what i'm into right now this is a, a finnish band called oransi pasusu and they just released an album last, actually on 420. Uh, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think that this is black metal, but this is like where it's 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 traveling into. It's it's becoming sort of a, a fusion of all other kinds of 
of styles. But if you listen to this and you focus on like the the nerve in it, it's it's like it's a bit dangerous. This is like industrial rock, right? Yeah. And it's like electronic. Oh, I bet Zoom is cutting it. Okay, well, when, whatever. When volume Zoom's weird with high volume, it like sh uh, clips it. Okay, I don't know well, the term. You know, it's, it's like electronic and it's brutal. It's violent and it's dark, but it's it's very modern. You know, it's like yeah. it's not like it's not what black metal used to sound like. You know, twenty five years ago. When only a hundred people were doing it, you know, it's 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 steadily evolving into something else. And these days, there's so much electronics into it, and I I love that. It's sort of a good metaphor for who I want to be. You know, I I I want to I want to evolve. I want to move. I want to learn. I want to I don't want to be stuck. You know, I don't want to be that conservative who's like I'm the purest. I only do this. Yeah. Thing. I think that maybe wraps it up. I have a meeting now. Oh yeah. And. Because <laughs> I'm a corporate dude, right? So I, <laughs> I, I, I have another Zoom meeting. I need to go. It's actually cool. We're going to talk about a, a big vision and, and about the future of, of bicycles. Oh, that sounds, sounds very that? exciting. Yeah, it'll very be cool. a, a pretty cool discussion. Hey, future is bright. Uh, future for bikes are fucking bright. You know, like if, if you if you're into the gospel of bikes, you'll be okay. Say yes, and we are all of us. Here it and everything's been done enterprises. Well, Eric, thank you so much for you know being here and spreading some of your knowledge all over us. It was awesome. Sick. Thanks, bud. Uh, okay. We'll talk to you Peace soon. Out. Take care. If anybody would like to follow Eric, he is on Instagram at Hell Hummus. Uh, and a funny side note about Eric, uh, I thought this was so amazing. His Lincoln bio was a play for the longest time was the playlist to and i quote lords of chaos dark lords darkest black metal playlist that much respect for that utilizing that link in bio quite well all right everybody uh thank you for being here this was quite the experience i look forward to doing it again with you next friday and maybe in the comments drop in uh who you'd like to see next on the show very cool, much respect, and we'll see you soon. Goddamn hippie. Hey, you need a haircut.